been more excited about teaching through the book of through a book of the Bible uh, as I am right now as we begin uh, the book of Revelation. Sunday in January, we're going to kick it off. Uh, we 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 went through the book of Genesis um, earlier in this this year, starting in January 2020. We took through the first 11 chapters of Genesis and tried to get a really good handle and grasp on what was happening there, and it's all connected to what's happening in the book of Revelation. So we're going from beginning to end. The title of the whole uh, series is Alpha and Omega, uh, Jesus Christ. He is our, he is the first and the last and the beginning and the end. So guys, I'm really, really excited about that, and I encourage you to be looking forward to that. I also encourage you, if you haven't gotten connected to a small group Bible study, we're going to be going even deeper into the book of Revelation into our small groups on Sunday morning. This would be a great time for you to get involved in one of our many wonderful small groups. We have some fantastic teachers that are dedicated to teaching the Word of God to you, and so I encourage you to consider that as well. Maybe just getting a little bit of feedback right here. Thank you, man. All right, so uh, we're going we're gonna to continue down the, the path of the Christmas story today as we have, what, two Sundays now today and, and next week before Christmas Day. And uh, Cameron, as I said last week, was able to share the perspective of these lowly and humble shepherds and how God came to the lowly. He came to the meek. He came to the humble to reveal himself and to announce the good news of uh, the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, provides several different perspectives of this wonderful story of the first coming. We call it the advent, the first advent of Jesus Christ. You have the perspective from Mary, and you have a perspective from Joseph. And, of course, we know the shepherds. And in Matthew, we hear about the magi or the wise men from the east. And you've got these different perspectives that are playing out in the Gospels that are helping us see how to respond to the good news that Jesus Christ has come into the world. And so it's a wonderful uh, opportunity for us to reflect and to learn something from these responses. And today I'm going to share a response from another character who's a, a rather obscure character in the Gospels, and his name is Simeon. And so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 2 this morning. And we're going we're gonna to learn a lot about this character Simeon, and I really believe he has got some fantastic, some very uh, fascinating perspectives of the coming of the Lord Jesus and also how we practically need to be prepared and need to respond to not just the first coming of Jesus, not just to his death, burial, and resurrection, which was all part and, and central to his coming, but also to his return. And so all of this is really tied in and connected here in Matthew, excuse me, in Luke chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, we're going to begin in Luke 2 and starting in verse 22 this morning. Luke 2, 22. It says, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up, speaking of Jesus, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, I tell you what, back up, look at verse 21 real quick. I don't want you to miss this. Really, really simple verse, but it says, At the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. So they didn't name him until the eighth day, which was according to the law of Moses and the custom uh, of, the, of the Jews to circumcise every male child on the eighth day. 
And so they circumcised him on the eighth day. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So Jesus was circumcised. Now his parents are going to Jerusalem and to enter into the temple. There were rituals and rites that they had to go through in order to present Jesus to the Lord. And so it says that after the, during the time of their purification, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male, this is verse 23 now, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So let's just, let's just stop right there real quick. Let's just, what's really going on right here? So this is all tied back to the book of Leviticus. It's all tied back to the law that was given first to Moses on Mount Sinai that was then given to the children of Israel. So here's basically what's happening. Every time a, a mother gave birth, when she gave birth to a male son, there was a 40-day period of purification. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with being guilty before God. This has nothing to do with being immoral in any way. The reason that God gave all of these purification rites, these, these purification rituals to the children of Israel was simply this. He's trying to remind them of how human they are. If you touch a dead body, you're not supposed to go into the temple or you're not supposed to present any offerings into, to the Lord and to the tabernacle or the temple for unless you perform these certain purification ceremonies. Same thing about uh, giving birth to a child. There was a, a process that you had to go through. It's not that you did anything wrong. These are things that are unavoidable in life, right? I mean, sometimes you have to touch a dead body. Sometimes you, you give birth to a child. It's just natural cycles and things that are going on in life. But the reason that the Lord did this is that he wanted to constantly remind his people that he is God and they are not. He is holy. This is sacred space. And they are human. And in order for them to approach him in the proper way, there were certain things that he made them go through in order to consciously have to remind themselves over and over and over again, he's holy, and I better not approach him in any presumptuous way. And that's really what was happening here. And so after 40 days of giving birth to a son, the mother had to wait uh, before she could approach the Lord, and then they would present their first, especially the firstborn child in Israel, of all the tribes of Israel, the firstborn child was specially set apart or dedicated to the Lord. Now, this is what's interesting. I'm going to share this real quick because I, I think it's a little bit good of background. From the book of Numbers, chapter 8, listen to what the law says. Uh, the Lord gives this to, to Moses. This is coming from Numbers 8. It says, you shall, you shall separate the Levites from among the people, and the Levites shall be mine. Now, the Levites was the one tribe of Israel that became the priests. They had a special duty, okay? It says, after the Levites shall go in and serve in the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle, when you've cleansed them and offered them as a wave offering. Now, listen to what it says. For they, who, the Levites, are wholly given to me from among the people of Israel. Instead of all who opened the womb, the firstborn of all the people of Israel, I have taken them... For myself, for all the firstborn among the people of Israel are mine, both man and beast. And on the day that I struck down all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated them for myself. And I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel. Now, what in the world is that saying? It's simply this. Every firstborn child from all the 11 different tribes of Israel were supposed to be given to who? To the Lord for service, for dedicated service. But instead, God said, I'm going to swap for you. I'm going to take all the children, the sons of Levi, and they're going to replace 
take the place of every firstborn son in all the other tribes of Israel. And you understand that the Levites had a special place in the administration of God's kingdom. They were the ones who tended to the temple and the tabernacle, and they led in worship, and they were they led in the study of the law. Guess what? Levites didn't even get to own their own land. They had to take part of the different tribes, and so the Levites took the place of the every firstborn male child. So that's just a little bit of a background of why Mary was bringing Jesus to the temple, and so she's going in, and they're offering this sacrifice on behalf of uh, their son to present him to the Lord. And it says they offered two what? Turtle doves. Okay? And that tells you the economic state of Mary and Joseph. Because if you didn't have enough money for a lamb, or you didn't have enough money for a ram, or any other type of uh, other animal, the, the Lord would allow you to offer what? Two pigeons or turtle doves. So they were very, very poor. And that's all that they could afford to offer to take, take this through uh, the, the ceremonial ritual that was required. Now, I want you to understand something real quick. This, this, this is why I'm going into detail about this. It was imperative of the parents of Jesus to circumcise him on the eighth day and to present him to the Lord on the temple after the time of purification because all righteousness had to be fulfilled in who? In Jesus. And these were things that he couldn't do for himself because he's just a what? A little baby. But from the time that he was born until the time he was nailed to that cross, Jesus was perfect in righteousness. He completely fulfilled the law of Moses to a T. He never disobeyed, broke a commandment, never did anything wrong, sinful. Everything he did was perfect in all righteousness. That's why when he went to John the Baptist, he said, hey, John, I need you to what? Baptize me. John's like, oh, man, you got this all mixed up. I'm supposed to be baptized by you. He says, no, I have to do this. Why? To fulfill all righteousness. Jesus had to fulfill all righteousness on our behalf. And so that's why it's so important that his parents, Mary and Joseph, they were faithful. They were law. They, they obeyed the laws of the Lord, and they, were, um, they, they obeyed God's law. And it's very important that, that they did this for Jesus because he could not do it for himself. So set the picture. They're in Jerusalem. They've got baby Jesus. He's just a little more than a month old. They're bringing him to the temple to present him to the Lord as every mother was supposed to do for her firstborn son. And it's important, again, that Jesus was the firstborn son. That's a whole other discussion for another day. And as they walk into the temple, Mary has done her purification rites so that she can even enter into the temple because, remember, she had to be ceremonially cleansed before she could go in. She goes in. They bring baby Jesus. And all of a sudden, this guy comes up to him. And he takes the baby from him. Now, this, this is a bizarre situation. I don't know. They probably didn't know this guy. So let's find out who this guy is and why in the world is he taking their baby from them in this most important time of dedication to the Lord. Let's continue reading in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Now, listen. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him alright and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ the Messiah and he came in the spirit into the temple 
And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Amen. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. So picture this scene as Simeon, this guy who's probably a stranger to Joseph and Mary. We don't know if they had any prior knowledge of him, but he takes them, takes baby Jesus in his arms. He's there in the temple, and he begins to pronounce this amazing prophetic blessing over their child. And again, nothing has been normal about the conception of Jesus, about the birth of Jesus, about all of the things that they have had to go through. And so this is just following suit about everything that is happening in the life of Jesus early on. And still, Mary and Joseph stand back and they're like, what is happening? This is amazing. Why is he saying these things? And so let's, let's learn a little bit about Simeon this morning that's going to help you and me understand our uh, have a greater and a bigger view and understanding of who Jesus is. The first thing I want to share with you is that Simeon, Simeon waited in hope, in hope for the consolation of Israel. And so must we. Now this word consolation, this phrase, the consolation of Israel, guys, this is a very particular, this is a very unique phrase that, that has a specific meaning attached to it. And so let's talk about what does it really mean that Simeon was hoping for, he was waiting for this consolation of Israel. Well, this is the same word, the word consolation is, is basically the same word from which we get the word comforter or counselor. It's the same word that we use of the Holy Spirit. He is our paraclete. The paraclesis is this root word here in consolation. Used of the Holy Spirit. He's called our helper. He's called our comforter. He's called our counselor. He's our advocate. Okay? So that's what the, the root meaning of this word consolation means in general. But there's a specific meaning for this phrase, the consolation of Israel. Ultimately, what this means is that Simeon was waiting for the ultimate fulfillment of God's arrival to earth to heal, forgive, redeem, and restore Israel to himself through the person and work of the Messiah. This was an expectation. This was an anticipation of the Jewish people, listen, for centuries. Can we just stop for a minute and pause and think about how the Jewish people arguably have been the most oppressed and persecuted people group that have ever walked the face of the earth. If you follow the history and the story of the Jewish people, guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. It is one tragedy after another. It is one war, one famine, one exile, one period of bondage. It is just one horrific tragedy after another. This is the history of the Jewish people. Think about it. Even as they went into Egypt, a small group and people, people under the, uh, the leadership of Joseph, and yet as they grew into a great nation, they were put into bondage by the Egyptians and Pharaoh. 
And yet they're delivered out of Egypt only to go into the conquest, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, entering into the land through the conquest, rebelling against God. You have the period of the judges where they rebel against God. They're judged. They're handed over to their enemies. They, come, they repent. They come back. You have this vicious cycle of rebellion and idolatry. The Israelites are constantly being judged for their unbelief. And then finally the northern, the, the kingdom splits into civil war. The northern kingdom carried into exile. Then the southern kingdom carried into exile. The temple is destroyed in uh, by the Babylonians, 586. Fast forward into 70 AD, even after Jesus, you have the temple destroyed again by the Romans. You have the Holocaust. You have the purging of the Jews all throughout history. It is just the most persecuted people group on the face of the earth. The story of Israel is the story of suffering. And when Simeon says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, what he's saying is he's waiting for the day when there will be no more suffering, no more death, when God will do what? Wipe every tear from their eyes. And they will be no longer oppressed by their enemies and they will no longer live in exile in a foreign land, but they will live in the kingdom of Israel underneath the kingship of their Savior and their Lord Messiah. Guys, that's what it really means for Simeon to be waiting for the consolation of Israel because the consolation would mean that Jesus, the Messiah, will come and he will crush the enemy. He'll crush the head of the serpent. He'll destroy the enemies of Israel. He'll establish his kingdom and he will establish the final age of rest on the earth, which is what we call the millennial kingdom or the kingdom of God on earth. That's when God will dwell with his people and he will be their God and they will be his people. Hey guys, that hasn't happened yet. So even as Simeon held baby Jesus in his hands, in his arms, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And on that day, that promise was partially fulfilled. That's why Simeon said, hey, I can at least die in peace now because I know that the one that we've been waiting for, the one that's going to, he's going to resolve all this mess. He's going to redeem all of this. He's going to make everything new. I've seen him. He's been born into the world. I've held him in my hands. I've seen him with my own eyes. That's what Simeon was saying. But he wasn't so short-sighted to believe that that is all that was going to happen at the first coming of Jesus Christ. You see, Simeon was was waiting in hopeful expectation for the consolation of Israel. He knew Isaiah chapter 61 that says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, speaking of Jesus, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, to give them the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Now, guys, we spiritualize that passage, and there's truth in that passage because did Jesus come to bring good news to the poor? Amen. That's what our responsibility is still to this day, to continue to share the good news. Did Jesus come to bind up the brokenhearted? Absolutely. 
That's what he has come to do. Did Jesus come to proclaim liberty to set us what? To set us free from sin and bondage? Absolutely. But guys, a literal fulfillment of this passage that has not taken place yet. When you read something like Isaiah 61, you've got to understand, the Lord's not just talking about spiritually setting us free. He's talking about on the day of his vengeance, he's going to come and literally set people what? Free. They're going to be in prison. They're going to be in chains. They're going to be in exile. They're going to be in concentration camps like the Jews were in World War II. And Jesus is going to come and set them free and deliver them from prison on the day of his vengeance. You see, it's not just spiritualized. The day of consolation, consolation of Israel is the final day when Jesus comes to completely redeem us and save us and liberate us once and for all. Guys, that hasn't happened yet. That hasn't happened yet. I'll take the spiritual application. Amen. Hallelujah. If you want to be set free, Jesus will set you free. But there's also a coming day when it's going to be literally fulfilled. That's what Simeon understood. And when he saw Jesus, he knew he's the one. This is the one that's going to do that. Now, he may not have understood everything about how he's going to do it, but he knows this is the one because the Lord gave me a promise, and I'm not going to die until I see with my own eyes the salvation of our Lord. Now, here's something that I want to remind you of. We, too, must be waiting in hope for the same consolation, listen, of Israel. Do y'all know how connected our salvation and our relationship and our identity is to Israel there's going to be a day when a Jew rules the world our Messiah is Jewish Amen. we as God's children by faith have been adopted by God and incorporated into the family of Israel we have been given the right to participate in the covenant blessings that he gave to who to Israel all the promises that God gave to Israel, here I am a wayward Gentile by faith in Jesus Christ. I now am incorporated, I'm grafted into Israel, and now I get to participate in the kingdom of Israel. That's what the kingdom of heaven, the, king, the millennial kingdom on earth, guess what it's going to be called? The kingdom of Israel. Jesus will rule from Jerusalem. He will reign on the throne of David, the king of Israel. So we get to participate in that. And guys, we're waiting for the same consolation of Israel as Simeon and all of the patriarchs have been waiting for. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. One of the, I mean, Romans 8, you just read that. You can study that chapter for the rest of your life and never, never get to the bottom of it. But I just want to share with you Paul's perspective of the consolation of Israel. The final consolation. Romans 8. Let me just start in verse 18. Romans 8, 18. Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now listen, in hope that the creation itself will be set free. Do you understand that the consolation of Israel also includes the entire creation itself will be regenerated and set free from bondage, set free from the effects of sin and the curse and the fall? That's what I'm talking about. 
Anybody feeling the effects of the fall today? I know I am. Anybody feeling it in your bones, in your body, in your health? You see, there's a coming day when all that's going to be made due, going to be renewed. That's what he's talking about. The creation itself will be set free. That's the consolation from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves are groaning. And we are the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly, listen, as we wait eagerly. For the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, the consolation of Israel is the redemption of the whole physical universe, including our what? Bodies. How's he going to do that? It's called the day of resurrection. That's what we're waiting for. Now listen to what Paul says. This is what we need to focus on. For in this, in what? in the consolation of Israel, in the resurrection of the dead, in the coming of Jesus Christ, in the revealing of the sons of God. In this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Waiting may be one of the hardest things that we will ever do because there's always going to be this sense of discontentment in our hearts. Guys, we're groaning inwardly because we know that something's just not quite right. We want God to fix it. We want God to change it. We want God to make it better. Guess what, guys? He will. He has promised to do that. And so we wait and hope with expectation that there is coming a day for the consolation of Israel when Jesus returns, Simeon was hoping for the consolation of Israel and he was privileged enough to see him. See, the consolation of Israel ultimately is a person. And Simeon was holding him in his hands that day. And one day we're going to behold him when he comes. And we wait for that day in faith and we wait patiently. Now, the second thing I want to show you is that Simeon lived to see the promised salvation of his God. So can we. Let me say that again. Simeon lived to see the promised salvation of his God. So can we. Look at what it says. Simeon holds Jesus in his hands. And he says, Lord, now you're letting me die in peace. That's what he's saying. Lord, finally I can go in peace. I can rest. God had given Simeon a special promise, guys. This was a unique promise, to say the least. Look at what he says. For my eyes have seen your Yeshua. My eyes have seen your Jesus. The name of Jesus, what's it mean? Salvation. His Hebrew name, Yeshua, Joshua, Yeshua. It means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. You see, he's holding him up. And remember, they named him Jesus on the when he was circumcised. And now Simeon's holding the baby whose name means Salvation, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus. See, God had given Simeon a promise that he would not die until he laid his eyes on the Savior, on the Messiah. 
It's kind of like Methuselah back before the flood. Y'all know Methuselah's name means his death shall bring. Which means that when Methuselah died, what would happen? The flood would come. Can you imagine naming your child his death shall bring? They're all, every time he gets sick, they're like, oh man, the flood's about to come. I hope he pulls through. Of course, he lived 969 years, and he was, you know, God's mercy extended a long time, but finally Methuselah what? And what came? The flood came. Same thing. Simeon got a special promise. He's like, my eyes will see the Messiah. My eyes will see salvation. And he was able to realize that promise. You know, Jesus told his disciples something kind of similar. I was talking to my son the other day. I was watching a, this new production called The Ballads of Revelation. It's just this amazing production about the book of Revelation. I'll, I'll introduce it to you guys um, over the next few months and hope that you get a chance to watch it for yourself. But it's just so well done. But, but what it does, it paints a picture of how close Jesus was to his disciples. We forget. We, we, we kind of remove ourselves from that situation. We forget. Guys, they were friends. They hung out together. They broke bread together. They played together. They worked together. They served together. They laughed together. They cried together. They were friends, close friends, brothers. We forget that sometimes. That's why John, is, he's called the beloved disciple. He loved Jesus. He just wanted to be by his side all the time. Listen to what Jesus said about the disciples. He said, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to who the Son chooses to reveal him. And then turning to his disciples privately, listen to what he said, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear. And did not hear it. You think the disciples took for granted just a little bit about what was happening? Just a little. They didn't really fully understand maybe till after the death, burial, the resurrection. Then they started to process, wait a minute. We were living and walking and, you know, with the Messiah, with God incarnate. Like it really hit home. But Jesus was trying to tell them, hey guys, you don't understand. Your eyes are blessed to see what you get to see. There are many generations that would hope to live to see what you see and to hear what you hear. Kings and prophets like David and Samuel and Moses, they didn't get to see what they saw. But Simeon, he got his promise. He got to see, and he knew it, and he embraced it, and he reveled in the moment. He cherished the moment when he was able to pick that baby up and look at him in his eyes and say, this is the Messiah. Now let's make this really practical today. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. What's the deepest prayer right now in your heart? What's that one thing right now that if you could just snap your fingers and change it or make it go away or make it better, what is that right now? Who's that one person in your life right now that you're just burdened over? I want you to think about that for just a second. Maybe it's a, a wayward child who's gone astray. You just want to see that child what? 
come home. Maybe it's a loved one who's living the life of rebellion and living in sin and rejecting God, and you just want to see them be saved. Maybe it's a broken relationship. You just want to see that relationship restored and mended. Maybe it's a forgiveness from somebody that you've hurt very deeply and, and they don't want to forgive you. And here's my encouragement to you, and this is, a, this is kind of a delicate thing, but I'm just going to say it this way. What if we started praying for those deep, deep things in our heart, the, the things that we... In other words, what is the thing that you need to see happen so that you can die in peace? What is that thing? Maybe it's one or two. I don't know, but it's usually there's one or two things in our life that we just want to see that thing resolved or that person resolved, that relationship restored so that we can just die in peace, like Simeon said. And what if we started praying so fervently, fasting so fervently that we started believing God so much that he would give us that promise? That he would give us a promise that, you know what? Before you die, I'm going to do this for you. You're going to see this happen. I'm not talking about name it and claim it. I'm talking about submitting ourselves to God in such a way, believing in the power and work of God, that having faith in the almighty God who can move mountains, that if we turn those things over to him and we truly surrender those things to him and we truly desire that and plead with him and beg our heavenly father to please work on our behalf that he would give us a promise that you know what, before you die, I will let your eyes see what you pray for, what you need, what you want. So that we can die in peace. I started asking myself a little bit of those same questions. And, you know, I'm blessed. Things aren't perfect. I got a lot of people I love that I want to see come to the Lord. But, you know, what I really want to see, what I, I, what I want, what I've always wanted to see before I die, I want to see a real revival. I just want to be part of a revival that starts in my home that starts in our neighborhoods, that starts in my family, that starts in this community, that reaches my friends, that reaches Bartlett, that expands to Memphis, that spreads all throughout the southeast United States. I just want to see a revival and an outpouring of Holy Spirit that we've never seen before, that everybody has to stand back and say, okay, that's got to be who? That's got to be God. Only God can do that. Only God can save people like that. Only God can change people like that. Only God can transform lives like that. Guys, that's my prayer. If I, if I can just die in peace, if I can just live to see the day that before I die, that there's just an outbreaking and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and I see a true revival and that God will just let me be a little bitty part of it. I don't have to be a big part of it. I just want to be a little part of it. What's that prayer? What are you trusting God for? What do you need to see so that you can die in peace? Guys, that's what we need to be praying for. I don't know what kind of deal Simeon had with the Lord. I don't know if he had some kind of special promise, but I guarantee you he was praying. He wanted to see the Lord before he passed. And God answered that prayer and gave him that promise. Amen? What a blessing. The last thing I'll share with you is that Simeon understood See, this is why he's, he's a man of wisdom beyond, I think, 
his immediate context because he understood something. Simeon understood that Jesus had to bear the cross before he could wear the crown. How do you know that? Listen to what he said. So he blesses them. He blesses Jesus. He says, my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. His parents marvel at what's happening. I look at verse 34. And Simeon blessed them, his parents, Joseph and Mary. And he said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And then look at what he says. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. See, Simeon understood. And this is what fascinates me. This man had wisdom. This man understood the scriptures. Because remember, most of the Jews, the expectation of the Jewish people was that when Messiah was born, he was going to be born a conquering king. He was coming to destroy the enemies of Israel. Remember, he's coming to usher in the the Messianic age. That's what they were waiting for. But if you read the scriptures carefully, like Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, and you begin to study the scriptures prophetically, and you look at the Passover lamb and all of the pictures in the Old Testament, see, Simeon understood something that many of the Jews of his day did not. He knew that Jesus had to be born to die. That before he could wear the crown, He had to bear the cross. He said, there's going to be a sign that is opposed to this child. You know what sign I think that sign is? It's the sign that we have on every church, around your your neck on a necklace, that you hang on your wall at home. It's the cross. The cross is the sign of opposition. Crucify him, crucify him, nail him to a cross as we would all have been shouting in that day. I know I would have been. See, there's going to be a sign opposed to you, Jesus. Then he looked at Mary. I believe he looked right into her eyes and he said, and there's going to be a sword that pierces you straight through too. And what was he talking about? The death of Jesus. Who was there at the cross? Mary and John. A few of the other disciples. And she and watched her baby boy bleed and die and suffer and she could do nothing about it. But you see, guys, that is God's plan. That's the plan of redemption. That's how God works. You see, when Jesus was taken into the wilderness after his baptism, Satan took him up onto a high mountain and what did he show him? He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and he says, hey, all this belongs to me. Guess what? I'll just give it to you. What was Satan offering Jesus? He was offering him a what? A crown. You can be a king. You can be the king of kings. You can rule all the nations of the world. All you got to do is what? Just serve me. And then Jesus says something amazing. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Guys, you know what we miss in that passage? You know what Jesus was telling Satan? No, buddy. You're supposed to worship me. I'm the Lord your God. You're supposed to worship me. Get behind me. See, Satan was offering Jesus the crown before going to the cross. 
Hey, man, here's a shortcut. You don't have to go through all that pain. You don't have to go through all that suffering. You don't have to go through all that death and humiliation. No, I'm going to give you everything that you've ever wanted. This is what you were born to do, to be a king. Guys, I'm going to tell you something about being a Christian. There's no shortcuts. The plan of redemption has always been that Jesus Christ would bear the cross. He had to come to suffer and die. He had to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. This would be the mystery of the gospel that many people did not understand until after his death, burial, and resurrection. The disciples finally got it. They started preaching Christ and him crucified. We understand that this is the sword of division, the sword of Jesus. He said, I didn't come to bring peace into the earth. I came to bring a sword. Because at the end of the day, what happens is, is that the sword of Jesus Christ and the name of Jesus Christ, it cuts through all the external barriers that we like to prop up and hide behind. And it cuts directly to the human heart. And no man is without excuse as we all must stand before a holy God and give an account of our lives. And here's the only question that's going to matter in the end. What did you do with my son Jesus? Did you receive him or did you reject him? That's it. Nothing else matters. I'll ask you that question today. If you were to stand before an holy God right now, today, this very day, and he asked you that question, what have you done with my son Jesus? Could you truthfully and confidently know, because he knows your heart, could you look at God and say, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and by his blood alone am I here? Amen. Can you say that? Because that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Guys, listen, there's no alternative route. There's no easy way. There's no shortcut for the Christian life. If we want to receive a crown, we're going to have to take up our cross. Isn't that what the cost of discipleship is all about? You must deny yourself, take up your, your cross, count the cost, and follow me. And Jesus said, it's going to cost you. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be ostracized. You're going to be humiliated. You're going to be attacked. You're going to go through tribulation. You're going to suffer all of these things in this life. But as we share in the sufferings with Jesus, we may also share in his glory. Amen. We may also be glorified with him. Think about that for just a second. The crown of life. Two verses and then we're going to go. Let me share this. Pete, three verses. Peter said this. Peter preaching in Pentecost. He said, God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer. Simeon understood this. He thus fulfilled, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And that times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ who is appointed for you, Jesus. Listen. Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things. Heaven must receive Jesus. He came to accomplish what he was to do. He ascended back to heaven and heaven has to receive Jesus until it's time for him to restore all things. Guess what? That's the consolation of Israel. We're waiting for that. Now listen to this. We also get a crown. The crown is promised to believers who do one thing, overcome. Those who overcome receive a what? A crown. 
James 1. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Revelation 2.10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, and you may be tested. For ten days you'll have tribulation. Listen, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. There are no shortcuts. The call to follow Jesus Christ is come and die. That's it. And he's worth it. He's worth it. And so this guy, Simeon, man, I can't wait to meet him. This guy, he, he, he knew some stuff that, that other people just didn't know. And God gave him a promise that not many people got to, and I don't know if anybody got to see the, the things that he saw. But I want you to stand on the promises that God has given you today. I'm going to ask our praise team to come up and I'm going to give you our, our, dis, our response, our our application, whatever you want to call it, is it whatever, what do you do with this message? You know, what, what am I going to take home with me? This is Christmas time. And I would just say it this way. I'm going to say it this way. Romans 8. Remember I talked about Romans 8 a little bit earlier? Romans 8 says this. If God be for us, who can be against us? For if God, listen to me, if God did not spare his only son, but freely gave him up for us all, will he not also give us everything? You see, you see what I'm saying? He already gave everything. What more can God give? He gave himself. So all of the struggle and the problems and the things in our life that we, we fret over and worry about and struggle with and wrestle with, guys, God has already given you everything and even more. And so that's the promise of God that we have. And I pray that whatever it is that you need to see before you die so that you can die in peace, I pray that God will grant that promise to you. And so as we go into our time of uh, response, our time of uh, invitation. I'm going to step back up here on the guitar. We're going to we're going to close out on one more song. But I want that to be the heart, the prayer of your heart today. That just as Simeon was able to see what God promised him and die in peace, I want us to be able to see what we desire, our deepest desire, so that we we too are able to die in peace. Amen. Amen. Will you pray? Bow your heads, Father. We give you the glory. All power and honor belongs to you. And Father, I know there are many hearts in this room who are hurting, who need to be reminded that you are good, that your love endures forever, that you are able, you're mighty to save, faithful to provide, Lord. And I pray for everyone in this room, Father, that if they need to know you, and trust you for the very first time that they would find and they would see your salvation. That, Lord, we can know and see your salvation even now through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I just pray that as we sing, that your people would respond accordingly.
For it's in the wonderful and powerful name of Jesus that we do pray. And all God's people said, Amen.